It's the same as it's always been. They run it on our behalf, which is which is great because they can put in their capital investment. Their contracts are for 20, 25 years. So it's a substantial contract. The money still comes to OLG and then we parse it out. And with the sports books, the municipalities will get a cut as they do for slots and for table games. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on Twitter Spaces. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience. Welcome back, everybody. It's Thursday, November 3rd, the first Thursday in the penultimate month of 2022. Back with the uh, Gaming News Canada show. Welcome, one and all. A lot to cover over the next 56 minutes or so. Want to start and just welcome uh, Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group is with us as always. Uh, we do expect that, that Will Hill from uh, from Sightline Payments will be with us over the hour. Uh, we're expecting Paul Burns, the President and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, to, to join us sometime in the next half hour. And then at the bottom of the hour, uh, Tony Batani, the uh, Director of Media Relations for OLG, is going to be with us for a few minutes as well. And um, uh, let's we'll start by just covering some of the headlines, not only from the Gaming News Canada newsletter this morning, but also from, uh, you know, just following the Twitterverse since nine o'clock. The BCLC and the Saskatchewan Indian Gaming Authority both announced that, that uh, Play Now is now live and, and running in Saskatchewan. And um, before I get into the other headlines, Amanda, maybe just to throw it to you quickly. I mean, it's a little surprising that it took this long for, for Sega to, to launch their, uh, uh, online sports betting product, but you may have some intelligence on that that I don't. Uh, well, I think it just comes down to Sega needing to get some standards in place as well, because that is a first nations run, uh, entity in Saskatchewan. They do run that gaming industry there. And I couldn't talk to whatever discussions I see Will's joined. He may have some other information, but the discussions between Sega, um, you know, the department of finance in Saskatchewan, the regulator in Saskatchewan, and BCLC. So those things tend to take several months to hammer out, but um, we certainly welcome the fact that there's another uh, there's another province who's, who's jumped into this, um, still in a monopoly way, a monopoly model, but still it's good to see Saskatchewan joining in. Yeah, Amanda, we did reach out to the uh, to Sega last week to see if Zane Hansen, the, the CEO, might join us, and we, we are we are hoping to get that uh, we'll get Zane on uh, at some point, hopefully in, no- in November. But Will, did you did you want to uh, piggyback on what Amanda had to say? Um, I, well, listen, I I don't have any special insight as to, as to uh, um, the vaccinations in Saskatchewan. I do know that that Sega has a very demanding. Uh, uh, portfolio as it as it is. I mean, they run seven casinos with member First Nations um, in Saskatchewan. Uh, they ha- ran a very successful procurement to uh, bring on board uh, BCLC and PlayNow.com and OpenBet uh, to uh, to stand this operation up. Uh, and then we should never underestimate the time it takes to actually put something like this in place. Um, you know, someone uh, wise once said to me about technical undertakings uh, as it relates to commercial gambling, it always takes longer than you think it will. Uh, but, uh, you know, like a full congratulations to them. Uh, they have got a, a great gaming, gaming portfolio now. Um, and the logo for their new uh, uh, website uh, and app on the, uh, the jersey of the home riders, although those rough riders uh, aren't in the CFL playoffs, unfortunately. 
Yeah, kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure both uh, Sig and the Rough Riders would like this to happen a little bit sooner. Well, because you're right, there might, might have been a chance to have a little bit of momentum in November with the with the Rough Riders on a on a run to the Grey Cup, but that's that's not going to uh, happen this year. Um, just quickly running through some of the other headlines. This this was interesting this morning. Jeff Lacourney from Covers tweeted out about mid morning about. Uh, um, Penn's third quarter results and talking about the fact that the uh, Barstool and the score bet are, are pretty pleased with their with their numbers and uh, there's a slide that Jeff put up uh, on a tweet that Ontario's become their top market in, in North America for sports betting and I casino and I guess uh, Amanda or Will, there's probably a, a bit of an asterisk there, given the fact that there aren't uh, there are very few states in the U.S. right now that do offer iCasino. So I'm I'm assuming that probably has a role to play uh, in in that tweet. Does that would that be correct, uh, Will? So I haven't seen those numbers, but yes, as the last count, I think there's only six U.S. states yes. um, that have have authorized uh, online casino, um, and all are doing relatively well, uh, but none of them. Um, have uh, the population base that Ontario does. Uh, I mean, and, and I don't know that we're going to see online casino expanded here in 2022 uh, because, of course, this year has all been about midterm elections. Um, and no one wants to talk about gambling expansion uh, during an election year. So uh, if there is a movement from states like New York and others to bring on online casino uh, to uh, as a, as a a companion to their existing sports betting operations uh it'll likely take place next year and i actually think there probably will be some states uh that uh, that tip over and and join in uh based on what they've seen from places like new york uh, pardon me new jersey michigan and pennsylvania in particular yeah and that's a nice segue well and uh, I, I did do a short item this week it's funny i've you know i did do some interviews at g2a a few weeks ago and then kind of got uh, knocked back a bit by my my bout with with COVID and and just some of the other stuff that was going on around the industry, but I I did have a chance to kind of go through my my notes this week and and wrote a little section on and on Brand Iden, and uh, Brand was one of several executive appointments by by Fanatics this week, which we all know Fanatics is uh, is building out a sports betting and gaming industry and and uh, is set to launch that uh, in in various states. Uh, Brant was formerly head of government affairs at uh, at Sport Radar. Um, has accepted the same role at, at Fanatics. It was announced this week, and I was talking. We were talking to Brant uh, at G2E about uh, about what's going on in the U.S. And he he said, you know, there probably is some regret around the industry that they didn't push harder to have sports betting and iGaming gaming to to get that passed at the same time as they've done here in Ontario. And he. He thinks that's maybe going to be a tall hill to climb to to go revisit at a time where, you know, there's so much going on, not only politically in the U.S., but economically as well. And as we've even seen with the um, with the announcement from the province and OLG late last week with uh, with sports betting now being offered in casinos, uh, things don't happen quickly when you get governments involved. So. Uh, anyway, we do have that, and and uh, I would suggest you check out the uh, you check out the people on the move section in the newsletter because it's it's just stunning right now how much uh, how much movement there is in, in the in the industry. Um, did did want to we'll touch on this with with Paul Burns as well. I hope that uh, Zakodni had a, a pretty piece on Tuesday on covers.com as well about 
the AGCO's deadline and how regulated unregulated operators have quickly uh, are quickly adhering to those regulations and uh, quickly, man. I maybe get you to hop in here, and I'm going to ask Paul Burns about this in a second as well. Are, are you are you surprised, and and do you have uh, do you have an explanation why why unregulated operators have it, it seems that they're listening to the ACGO and they're and they're um, complying with their uh, with that deadline? Uh, it's a, it's a it's a great question, Steve. Um, I think the AGCO had been sending enough warning shots across bows um, for several weeks already. And I think we've talked before about how their first step was to start contacting suppliers because AGCO knew exactly and knows exactly who hasn't come in for a license, who's in the market and who hasn't applied. So it wasn't, you know, it didn't take a lot of investigation for them to go and say, you know, they're using this operator for their sportsbook platform. They're getting, you know, content from these, these suppliers. This is, you know, looks like this is their payment provider. And, you know, those, operators and suppliers were all going to risk their own licenses because at least from a, a games a games um, point of view, they all are individually licensed through the AGCO. So those licenses would have been in jeopardy. Um, and I don't think any supplier would have wanted to have been sort of tainted by providing services to an unlicensed operator in a fully regulated market. Um, so I think that really helped um, expedite the uh, pulling out of what was it, the 17 operators from the market in the right. early hours of Tuesday morning. But I think it's a credit to the AGCO that that has happened as smoothly as it did. I was certainly expecting that there might have been one or two who were going to dig in and try to try to fight it. But I, you know, full credit to the AGCO that that went as smoothly as it did. And I'm sure Paul has more that he can more color he can add. Yeah, maybe we'll get we'll get Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, in here a little sooner, just while we're on the t- topic. But, but Paul, any additional thoughts to what Amanda said? Uh, other than I heard there was nineteen operators that actually um, were in the queue and and and, and step back. Um, so it's, uh, um, I think it's a testament to obviously we've seen those who have signed up. Uh, from the green market, and it really comes down to um, um, they worked hard to get a lot of people in, um, and so uh, there's still uh, those who were gray market operators, and then there are still others who have not are not gray market operators that are in the queue. So there's still a very robust line uh, inter- waiting to enter the market, uh, and so we'll see that in the coming weeks uh, as more continue to enter. Um, and I'm hearing even more considering and looking at applications at this point too. Um, so it's it's a good sign. I think the enforcement measures um, that AGCO have are putting in place, I think, will be uh, are being. Very, I think will be effective. I think that particularly a focus on suppliers in in many ways is a very good um, a good place to start. In the sense that I think it, it'll have effect. Um, as they want to, um, they call the term choke off the oxygen of illegal operators uh, focusing on Ontario. So, you know, I think that's not been done in many jurisdictions around the world, frankly. It's a complaint I heard early on uh, from you many operators in different parts of the world saying, yeah, we see all these products that are available on sites that aren't even licensed in jurisdictions. And how are they getting these products? And why are they being supplied in our market? Um, and I think the AGCO has got a good, I think it's a good approach to start with. Let's see how it works. Um, but I think testament to the market is the number of people 
and gray market operators that were willing to take the step and join. Hey, Paul, I, I asked this question out of, out of curiosity, not not from passing judgment, but the one the one operator that sticks out to me, and I, I just haven't been able to get any answers. And I'm again, I'm curious about this is uh, Bodog, which I don't, I, I can't get anyone to confirm that they're going through the application process, but they've been very certainly proactive in promoting their product on on Twitter and. They do have some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a licensing agreement or partnership or what, what you want to call it, but there are sports media types across the country who, who are obviously getting paid by Bodog to, uh, to, to promote the sports book on Twitter. I, do, do you have any insight at all into whether or not Bodog <coughs> is going through the process or, or, or where, they, where they fit into the uh, equation here? Um. My understanding, and it's not, it's it's simply, you know, listening to the the chatter more than anything else, is that they're not, um, and they haven't applied. Uh, but I can't, I don't have a definitive source to say that's the case. But um, clearly, they've, you know, launching new ads and new apps and all those things for the market um, is a sign that uh, if they haven't, well, they're definitely going to uh, are stepping into the crosshairs because uh and this will be a test um frankly it's um as i like to refer to them, there's some tall poppies in the field and which ones are going to get their heads chopped off um in the process because if you uh, there's a lot of sites out there that don't raise up on many people's radar at all that may be still out there uh, and then there's those that are you know and i would say the bodog is the one that's still advertising Yes, uh, on mass market and radio promotions and all these other things that are going on, uh, I, it's going to be telling to see what happens um, in the, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, well, uh, well, any did you any thoughts from you on on this topic? Um, no, I I think I was reading a report from Vixio this morning uh, that that talked about the number of operators that are in present in the market that have cut off any unregulated activities, uh, and I think that's for the best. And I think as Amanda and Paul have alluded to already, it's to the credit of the AGCO and the way they handled this, opening the market on April fourth, giving lots of advance warning, uh, making sure that everyone understood October thirty first was a deadline, and allowing these entities. Um, that in many other jurisdictions, I mean, we often refer to the gray market and, and sort of sometimes hint at it being, you know, scurrilous or, uh, you know, with ill intent. No, a lot of these companies are publicly traded, uh, um, beholden to regulators in other jurisdictions, um, beholden to security commissions in other uh, jurisdictions where they're publicly traded, um, beholden to shareholders, um, upstanding corporate citizens, and, and, you know, many of them to their credit. Um, listen to the AGCO um, and have um, acted accordingly. Um, and so we've now taken here what was a very active gray market, uh, absolutely um, an enormous influence, um, and actually shifted the market substantively uh, towards uh, a regulated model that contributes to the coffers of the province of Ontario, uh, that is creating jobs within this province, especially high-tech, well-paying jobs, um, and is contributing to economic development in different ways. So um, I, I think uh, this has all been uh, for the best with uh, these entities that have willingly submitted to a regulatory framework uh, here, here in Ontario. 
And, and Amanda Brewer, I, I would assume that's something that Kindra Group, that, that you and other operators are, are following closely, and I'm sure you have had conversations with the AGCO and, and making sure that there there is some teeth to this deadline and that, that unregulated operators are complying. Well, in fact, uh, on behalf of Kindred, we haven't gone and approached the AGCO because we've been quite pleased with how they've handled it. And um, I saw one of the emails that the AGCO would have been sending around to some of these operators. Um, some of them were going out on Friday, um, asking them to provide screenshots or other definitive confirmation that they were complying with the new standard or the standard that says that they're not to provide any unlicensed, unregulated activities or services in the province of Ontario. So, you know, from a kindred point of view, there wasn't a need to to go and and sort of circle back with the AGC on that. But I think, you know, we've spoken before from from the point of view of operators who were in the market on April 4th. Um, it was really time for that door to shut and shut very firmly. So, you know, as Paul said, there will, there will, I'm sure still be some, some challenges for the AGCO to, you know, kind of get the broom out and, you know, firmly sweep, <laughs> sweep the last remnants of the market out. But uh, just based on what we're seeing in this, these very early days, it is, it is incredibly positive. And I would, I would go so far as to say, uh, it should serve as a model for any other jurisdiction, Canada, U.S., or anywhere else who is considering launching a, a regulated high gaming market. Yeah, and to your point, Amanda, and if, you, if folks, if you haven't see, had a chance to read the newsletter yet today, the, uh, Bet Regal is one of those operators that now, if you go to their homepage, you, if you're in Ontario, and it looks like the rest of, well, certainly Ontario, you can access the website. So, um, again, we we do know that uh, we do know from talking to Bet Regal that they are going through the application process, and for whatever reason, it's taken longer than uh, than they had hoped uh, they'd hoped for. Especially, again, with the fact that uh, Bet Regal does have that partnership with the Canadian Football League, and just really haven't been able to activate that this uh, this season. And we're uh, we're essentially in the final four or five weeks of uh, of the CFL's season. Um, Paul, I want to go back to you because the, the reason we asked you to join us today is, is the, um, the OLG announcement last Friday that uh, the select casinos across the province were finally going to be able to offer sports betting. And uh, if I had a quarter for every conversation that you and I have had probably over the last uh, six or seven months about, about this issue, we'd, uh, we'd be able to have a nice weekend at, at Niagara Falls. <laughs> um, I'm sure you were, you were quoting the release. And, and again, I think uh, we, we can all agree that this was something that was long overdue. Yeah, finally, is, is the, finally, it's done. Um, yeah, it, was, it, was, it, it took too long, um, but it's done. Uh, and you can see that, you know, in a matter of hours, Great Canadian launched in 10 of their casinos. Um, you know, false views. Uh, Coming along, Windsor's putting an interim, putting kiosks outside their Legends Lounge right now, and to get those running before they they build out a, a full sports book later this year. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm puzzled still, but it's done um, because it was a no brainer in terms of giving casinos a chance to drive people into the buildings to bet on sports and watch sports and and uh, and. So it's um, it's good that it's it's now done, and now it's uh, operators are are starting to execute. So it's going to be um, it's going to be um, it's going to be good. Uh, I think that we'll see the 
um, obviously, you know, Caesars is bringing their brand to Ontario in their book, and um, we'd hopefully maybe see some other brands over time. That's been a point of contention um, in being able to partner. But in the interim, the casinos have have moved quickly to uh, to to put the offering in place, and, and um, it's just yeah, I'm, you can sense my frustration. I, I know, like, there's a lot I could say, but we're done now. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> got them. yeah, yeah, not to, not to beat a dead horse too badly, Paul, and, and Will may want to hop in here too. But it does seem, given the the parameters are pretty pretty tight on on this announcement last Friday, is it, it, it does beg the question: is why why would it take so long to to get this done when we're not including at this point uh, convenience stores or other retail outlets or sports stadiums or this is a very uh, a very restricted uh, policy that's in place. Yeah, it's and it was something that obviously the casino operators had asked for because they wanted some head start and, and, and their investments in the province, which are several billion dollars, and is, is you know great Canadians building out of finishing the build out in Pickering and 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 under construction at, at Woodbine. Um, they're willing to put the investment in if they know that there's you know it's. Uh, there's not a, a sports book on every corner. Um, I think there's sports betting product in the lottery kiosks across the province, which is great, and everybody has access to their phones and apps. Um, and I think that uh, obviously there's a, a consultation. The ADCO is, is soon wrapping up, at least trying to get some understanding of how people perceive um, whether it's you know promotions, activations, and and you know and whether there's new. Um, retail locations, whether it's in stadiums uh, or other places in the province. But, um, I mean, this one was so obvious to do. It was it really wasn't a brainer, and that's why it's frustrating. It took so long. So, you know, that, and this is where the, the having two conductors and managers, and it's, you know, this, these terms that are make everybody's eyes roll. Um, but, you know, OLG is responsible for retail gaming. And that's they're going to be the ones to decide where this expansion goes, and and in consultation with others. But um, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it goes. You know, there's it's this two-headed reporting entity that casino operators have had to deal with, and and if sports folks want to, you know, are permitted to go retail, they're going to have to do the same thing. And so it's kind of it's it, it doesn't lead to a smooth, you know, efficient rolling out of all of this stuff but it is what it is and everybody's been working through it yeah well hell just you know maybe put getting your olg yep. cap out of mothballs yep. do, you, do you want to jump in here 100 yeah. so a long time ago in a galaxy far far away before i ever started at olg a person that had worked in government came to me and when he heard that i was going to uh, the crown operator he said listen will he says, there's two things you need to understand uh, when you go to work for the government, uh, either directly or, or indirectly through a, a crown corporation. He said, government is good. That's number one. But government is slow. He said, so when you're doing the painstaking work that seems to take forever, just remember that first principle um, that, you know, generally what you're doing is in the interest of the public good. Um, I, I came to say over my years at OLG uh, that government aspires to move at the speed of business, but oftentimes moves at the speed of caramel. And, and typically the reason for that is, as Paul mentioned, you're juggling a whole degree of a whole varying degree of interests um, in your stakeholder geography that ultimately you have to make decisions that please 
many, but not oftentimes all. Um, and so um, how you get through that process uh, of, of um, pleasing some and, and displeasing others, but, but managing their expectations and working with them um, can be a painstaking and laborious process. But here's where, rather than looking back at how long this has taken, let me look forward and, and actually, you know, um, put a put an optimistic light on this. Because quite frankly, you know, in 2000, when the Mike Harris government um, ordered a, a policy called the Slots at Racetrack program, where they put slots at every uh, um, live racing facility in the province. I mean, that's all there was. There was just, you know, acres of slot machines. You go into a facility today um, in, in Ontario, um, and specifically the two that, that Paul mentioned, the, the uh, recently built out new facility in Pickering and the one that's under construction um, on 33 acres at Woodbine. Um, and there's dining. There's live entertainment. I mean, yes, there are slots and tables, uh, but there's so much more. Um, and now sports betting is part of this larger offering. Uh, it's just another entertainment offering. And so when you think of where we came from, uh, windows are windowless buildings with all kinds of slot machines and where we're at now in terms of the gaming entertainment centers where gaming only accounts for a part of the overall traction. Well, I, I think we've progressed a long way. So uh, the fact that we now have a retail sports betting in, in the casinos across the province, even if it's not all of them, it's only a selection. Well, that's actually, you know, something to be celebrated. Um, and so if it did take a long time to get here, well, it was worth the effort because um, all of those facilities are determinately improved in, in how they're able to attract clientele um, into into the future. So I, I think uh, um, last week's events um, um, and, you know, the opening and I believe it's in Windsor today and, and, and soon to follow in some of the other communities. Um, it's it's all for the good. Hey, Paul, in terms of looking forward, as Will mentions, you know, I think people and again, for the those of us that have been, you know, we we were together at uh, at the SBC Summit in East Rutherford this summer when you were inducted into the Sports Betting Hall of Fame. We had a really nice evening at the Meadowlands, and Mark Silver and I had a chance to take a walk through the FanDuel Sportsbook. And uh, we know, I think FanDuel has about 26 uh, bricks-and-mortar sportsbook experiences across the U.S. right now. Like, how long do you think and, and what will it take to, until we see uh, – uh, you know, some kind of lounge or kiosk inside Scotiabank arena, arena, for example. Well, I think the I think the discussions are probably already. Well, I know they've already started. Um, the issue is, is is I think it's it's the political side being able to digest um, what's perceived as expansion of gaming, um, and and I think that's where you come to the, the what's the appetite. Uh, for moving forward on this, and I think there's, there's, uh, I think on a lot of fronts, there's an incremental approach to some of this, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of those 26 facilities that FanDuel had are actually in gaming facilities, um, uh, and that's something that I think is is extremely uh, important to remember. But I think as we get into looking at um, the requests from stadiums and others. I think those are definitely part of the mix going forward. Um, I just think it's ability of um, the political side, uh, regulators, everybody really just uh, digesting what's going on. We've moved um, a long way in two years in terms of regular gaming in the province. Um, 
availability and others. And I think that's just, um, and that's why I think the agency was, you know, obviously put out a bit of a consulting consultation paper. Really gets, get some insight and learn some more. And I think that that's something that, um, um, you know, we've had a backlash in some circles and not as, as, I don't think it's as great as media often writes about, about advertising. Um, but I, I just think it's, I think it comes down to what are they prepared to digest at this point and move forward on. And I think that those are the, and it's all, I think, conversations to be had. Uh, capacity of AGCO, IGO, and the OLG in some cases to have these conversations and move things forward in light of what's been going on. Um, it's just, it's now time to, we're going to turn our attention to these things now. So I, I think they're definitely part of the mix at some point going forward. But I've always heard from government that it's um, the you know it's going to be a bit of incrementalism as we move forward and being able to to digest and get comfortable with where we're at before we move forward any further. Yeah, and, Amanda, I want to get I want to get your voice in here too, and and also if anybody has any questions for Paul or Amanda or Will or anybody here, please put your hand up, and we we are going to get Tony Batani from OLG in here in a few minutes as well, Amanda. Yeah, I, I mean, Paul and I talk regularly, and as someone who has been, you know, I said many times, I still bear the scars of trying to put a very tiny casino in downtown Toronto about 10 years ago and right. saw the city rise up, you know, in, in horror over that. Um, I think that, to Paul's point, there's there's a way to kind of responsibly uh, introduce this and add this as an extension of, you know, a customer's, um, sports entertainment when they're down at the Rogers Center or the Air Canada Center or even real sports. I think there are probably a handful of appropriate facilities sprinkled throughout the province where adding a, a betting lounge or some sort of betting experience is appropriate. Um, I don't think that I would ever want to be, you know, out running errands on a, on a Saturday and walking into my local Kelsey's and seeing it completely taken over by a sports book. Um, so as Paul said, alluded to, the AGCO has a consultation period that's closing on the 7th of November where they're asking for feedback on this. It's just with, you know, as again, you know, it's the, it's kind of the, the eye crossing stuff of the two conduct and manage models, whether or not these will be palatable or attractive options going down the road. If we can't kind of figure out how to streamline that a bit better remains to be seen, but you know, conversations for another day and to Will's point, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Yeah, and again, just uh, I had a chance to interview Chuck Keeling from Great Canadian Entertainment on uh, on Tuesday, and um, you know it's kind of part and parcel. What the reason why we see sports book lounges at venues in the U.S. is that uh, sports teams or leagues now are they're looking for every kind of touch point with that fan engagement or fan experience. And as Chuck mentioned, it's one of those things where. You know, I think people w would like to go if they're going to a casino for the evening, might like the opportunity to maybe go in uh, into a sports book lounge and have a drink and, and place a couple of bets. And then you're going to uh, you, you're maybe going to go play the slot machines or play play at the craps table. And you may you know, you may have a nice meal later and stay in a hotel overnight. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, the, the score, for example, with their 10 year partnership with the Blue Jays and their plans to build a, a sports bar and restaurant at the Rogers center that, uh, they would like to have some kind of a sports, uh, sports bang experience there. And I would assume that there have been conversations to Paul's point between MLSE and, 
either uh, and, and points bet and and or fan do along along the same lines as all. But I, I guess it goes back to Amanda Will to what we've always said is this this is very very early days. We're not not even twelve months into this new uh, new industry yet, and and so. Uh, I think uh, you know patience is certainly uh, certainly a virtue in, in this case. Uh, well, did you want any any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, the one thing I would here? say um, when you mention um, uh, sports gambling on premises in in different U.S. facilities, um, what you have to recall, um, absent the Capital One Arena in Washington, is that most of the sports lounges at different sports uh, stadiums and arenas in the U.S. are just that. They're lounges. They're not sports books. There's no betting windows on premises. There's no uh, surveillance. Instead, what they've done is they've created all the typical trappings of a sports book, i.e. lots of screens, tote boards with the latest odds. Um, but there's no actual means to process bets on site. What they oftentimes do is they position brand ambassadors there that teach you how to download the particular app um, and perhaps place your first bet. Um, but they're actually, you know, uh, very loosely, they are not gambling premises. They are sports lounges, not sports books. So I, I think that's sort of the evolution you see. And within a couple of years of those propping up uh, in, say, the New Jersey Devils arena done by William Hill, well, a couple of years later, William Hill was able to put an entire sports book um, in uh, both street-facing and concourse-facing property in the Capital One Arena, the home of the Wizards, the Mystics, and, and uh, uh, the NHL Capitals. Um, so there is an evolution that will occur, uh, but you know there there is a difference, at least initially, between a, a branded lounge um, and an actual sports book in terms of the gambling mechanics on site. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that reminder, Will. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's important. So appreciate that. I, I want to get Tony Batani, the director of media relations from OLG, in here. Want to talk first uh, in a second, Tony, about uh, the, the report that OLG's put out this week. But I just wonder if you want to add anything to the conversation we've been having about about your announcement last Friday about uh, you know sports betting now now being part of some of your uh, casinos across the province. Yeah, so uh, thanks, Steve. It's great to, to join you. And um, I, I, I know Will Hill very well, and I appreciate all of his comments. And I also like to echo Amanda's comment about the uh, the scars of trying to get a casino in downtown Toronto. I, too, bear some of those scars. Um, but it is very exciting that, um, that we finally got government approval. Um, to move ahead with this, and um, these the, the the service providers that run the casinos. Are, are, are anxious to get things moving. And we saw that Great Canadian was uh, first off the bat. Uh, Caesars Windsor uh, followed with um, with some kiosks and they're developing a more uh, robust sports lounge. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's uh, they'll be coming shortly as well too. And then, you know, followed by Gateway, Falls View, those, those other companies as well, too. So, so we're excited about this. And uh, as, as Paul said, um, it, is, it is very uh, slow and methodical, and they want to do this right. So uh, we, take the, uh, we take the direction of the government. We give them our best advice, and, um, and we follow their lead as well, too. So uh, onward and, and forward on, uh, on sports books. Hey Tony, what's what's OLG's role moving forward now in terms of now that casinos have it? Is there some type of oversight or some type of reporting? And and again, just curious how what the process is for that with now the Great Canadian, for example, has has those sports betting experiences in play. 
So it is, it's the same as, as it's always been. Uh, even when OLG owned the, uh, owned the casinos, uh, and Will Hill knows as well too, when OLG owned the casinos, you know, at the end of the night, we had all the money. Uh, and the, and the, the deals that we made, the contracts that we made with these casino service providers was at the end of the night, the money still comes to OLG and then we parse it out. So we pay them, we pay our municipalities, we pay the government, uh, we pay all of our other stakeholders, so it it's it's not like a like a four hundred seven deal as uh, as many of us remember that the money still comes to us. We parse it out, um, and with the sports books, the municipalities will also get a share of that as well too. So they also will get a cut, uh, a piece of that revenue as they do for slots and for table games. Um, so it not much has changed. We still have our oversight. Um, we. You know they run it on our behalf, um, which is which is great because they can put in their capital investment. Their contracts are for 20, 25 years, so it's a substantial contract. Um, but again, at the end of the day, the money still comes to us, and then we dole it out at the end. Right, great. That thanks, Tony. That's a, a probably a nice way to transition to the, the the main reason why we wanted to get you in here today. And and again, we we didn't have a chance to write about this in the newsletter this week, just because we pretty much just ran out of uh, time and space as the uh, as the old sports saying goes but um can you maybe just tell the listeners tony just explain the the olg's new impact reports which you you're calling where play meets purpose yeah so you, you know what we've we've always been a government agency all of our money always goes back to the province but a lot of the population, we've done surveys, we've done you know studies, and a lot of the population really doesn't realize that. And we thought it would be best now to put out another one of these reports. And the pandemic didn't help, uh, you know, a great deal. So now we have this opportunity to put out one of these um, impact reports or social responsibility, corporate social responsibility reports, to tell people where the money goes. Um, and the money always goes back to Ontario. Our, you know, our motto is play for Ontario. So if you play an OLG game, you play Lotto Max, 649, one of the casinos, one of the charitable gaming sites, one of the new sports books, um, you know, in the end, the money always goes back to Ontario. Um, and, and and we wanted to tell people where that money goes. Um, so we, we we spelled it out in our in this new report, talking about, you know, what the casinos provide, what the lottery provides, what the charitable gaming provides. Um, you know, we talk about our responsible gambling policies um, because it is, you know, people say, well, you know, you're holding, you know, you're, you're the mouse that's holding the cheese and you're also wanting to keep the cheese away from people as well, too. So, you know, we take responsible gambling very, very seriously. Um, when I started 12 years ago, uh, we were called it responsible gaming. And one of our leaders that, that was dealing with in the RG space said, why are we calling it gaming? It's gambling. Let's call it what it is. So we're not one of these ostriches that put our, put our head in the sand. We want to be out there. We want to tell people what we do. Um, and that's what our report uh, nicely spells out. Talks about our businesses, talks about our, um, our corporate culture, uh, our stakeholders, our partnerships, um, because we have 
over the years we were a government entity that you know controlled controlled it all controlled the casinos controlled the lottery and now that we have these uh these partnerships these stakeholders um we want to bring them into the fold and we want to show the people what we're doing out there yeah tony the, the responsible gambling piece is really really important I, i'm gonna get i want to get will and Amanda in on this conversation for a second as well but i just want to mention one one of the uh, one of the stories in the across the pond section, the newsletter this week is is Australian betting operators are being told that they have to get rid of the the quote gambling responsibly advertising tagline and and they're now they're proposing taglines like um, chances are you're about to lose or imagine what you could be buying instead uh, you win some you you lose more. Um, and again, I think there's been a bit of backlash and, and there's a feeling that maybe that there's not enough of a responsible gambling messaging and, and the advertising we're seeing. And, and Amanda, maybe I'll start with you. Like we're, you know, watching this industry now for what are we, I think seven months into it now, like where, where do you sit on the efforts of the industry around responsible gambling in Ontario? It's a little bit of a tough question to answer, um, Steve, because if we're going to use the metric of out-of-home advertising or television advertising, then not every operator is in that space. It's going to be right. cost prohibitive for anyone but the really big guys. Um, so I think instead you kind of have to look at what's the experience of a customer when they're engaging with an operator. Is there 24-7 customer support available, which is a requirement in Ontario? Um do all communications carry um, a message about responsible gambling and uh, information about how to reach Connects Ontario, which is what the land-based casinos use as well? Um, are there thresholds that our teams watch for? And if a player is demonstrating any of that indica indicative behavior, are there emails that go out? Are there alerts that get triggered internally? Like all of these tools exist in the back end that you know you're not seeing you know in any of the advertising so i think from the point of view of the standards that are in place that agco and igo have set out that every operator must follow in order to hold on to their operating license in ontario there are very strict rg standards it's just what you're seeing from a handful of operators that are more visible in the market you're not going to see what everyone is actually doing behind the scenes so i just offer that as maybe a different way of thinking about it yeah no that's, a, that's great insight amanda and uh, just to again put a bow on that one i i did receive an email from bet 365 and they got monday monday morning as kind of a responsible gambling reminder and and identifying the different tools and the different ways to reach to reach out if you uh, if, if you have a problem um and again we'll mention it last week and i'll mention it today is that uh, the responsible gambling council is sponsoring the discovery 2022 conference next week in toronto and um there is a link to to registration and i i believe there still is um at least in-person registration available for the conference well did you did you want to add anything to that yeah Ontario has always been a leader in corporate social responsibility as it pertains to commercial gambling. Um, I've often mentioned on this Twitter space uh, that Ontario and OLG is the only two-time winner of the World Lottery Association's best RG program globally. And so much of the programming that's happening in Ontario with other operators is flowing out of uh, OLG's example. 
um, what the AGCO has learned um, for, about responsible gambling um, from the the example and the, the research and the leadership in the field by the Responsible Gambling Council that's headquartered here uh, in Toronto and hosts great events like Steve mentioned, Discovery next week. Um, this is a center of, of RG excellence. It, it has been for some time. It was. It's always been a focus of the activities of the Crown Corporation, um, and uh, has sort of permeated their business to the point that you know the RGC, the Responsible Gambling Council, has what is largely considered to be the most rigorous accreditation program for responsible gambling in the world. It's called RG Check. Well, all 29 casinos in Ontario have received RG check accreditation, and eventually all internet operators working in the online realm here in Ontario will be uh, expected to achieve that same accreditation. And it's a rolling accreditation because every three years you have to go back and attest to your ability and show and demonstrate that you're hitting on these major criteria that define responsible gambling excellence. So I've always felt that um, this is a province that sets a, a gold standard uh, for the rest of the country and, and the rest of, of North America to uh, to look towards. Uh, Tony, any final thoughts on that? Like, well you know what? Yeah. Will took the word right out of my mouth. I, uh, I, I can't say it any better than that. Um, and with OLG, uh, we uh, we were the ones that, that really did start it because we had to start it. Um, and one of our one of our former um, RG leaders um, it, it kind of equated it to the car and the seat belt and all the safety um, all the safety gadgets in cars and vehicles these days. And and it's very much similar to that because, you know, 20, 25 years ago when the casinos first opened up in Ontario, there really wasn't much in terms of responsible gambling. Uh, it was set up the casino, get the slots in there, get the table games in there, get the people in there, let's get going. Um, but over the, over these years, we've, you know, we've, be, we've, put ourselves in a leadership position because we wanted to, not not because we only had to, but we really wanted to because we saw the benefit of that. It doesn't make glitzy headlines, uh, but it's important to us. And, you know, over the years, you know, just like the seatbelt was one of the first safety inventions for the car, we now have, you know, high-tech, um, I, I think I think Amanda mentioned it as well too, there's a lot of AI behind the scenes on our, uh, on our digital platform uh, in the casino knows so when you put in the loyalty card it's more than just a loyalty card it is um connected to the rg um back end which tells us a lot about you as well too and it's not for marketing um it's for to tell the people that right then and there that maybe uh you know you've overstayed overstayed your your time limit or your spending limit uh, give them gentle reminders we're not hitting them over the head with a hammer uh because we want the the gaming experience to be fun and enjoyable um, but we want to remind them of of their responsibilities as well too that if they asked us to help them help them with this then we're going to help them with uh with, with setting these limits and the and, and you know, all that stuff too so the great ai behind the scenes um that people don't know about and that's kind of what, what we wanted to do in this impact report as well too is really promote that as well yeah, that's terrific stuff, uh, Tony, from you, from you, Will, and, and Amanda. I, I want to ask you a, a sports betting uh, industry question. And, and again, I've had we we've had some conversations you and I with with Dave Bridmore, your chief gaming officer, back 12, 18 months ago about uh, 
pro line the pro line plus now competing in a very very competitive marketplace now that ontario's uh wide open and and dave at the time talked about he he felt that olg had somewhat of a, a home field advantage because um you know it's been known for for decades now that that uh, money goes back to the community and helps build facilities and and is a is entrenched in the communities. Have, have you had any? Have you had that kind of feedback, um, Tony, or, or do you think the success that you've had so far with Proline Plus that that is a piece of it that that people do feel that affinity to OLG and and what you're different, whether it's lottery or or casino or, or what have you, that uh, there is that connection to the community. Absolutely, Steve. There, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, we, you know what, we were first out of the gate because we had that home field advantage um, and because we were already regulated in the market. Um, and we made sure that we promoted that as well too. Again, when you play an old G game, you play for Ontario. The money goes back to Ontario. And then when the market opened, um, yeah, you know what, we saw people exploring other other sites um and but we're still seeing um our 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 you know base grow uh with the casino with the i casino with the lottery um and with the sports as well too so there is that trust factor and people are telling us every day when they put their money on proline uh whether it's retail or online and we really appreciate that so at least we know that the message is getting through um and um but again with the gaming market opened um and with the agco giving the stamp of approval to and i go giving the stamp of approval to these other um formerly gray market sites um you know it it, it really gives them a, a trust uh, you know it, it, it imposes on them a, a stamp of approval for them as well too and we like that so you know what yeah we're we're competing in an open market that we've never done before uh but we're also an entertainment company that's been competing in an open market um you know with other entertainment options sure. out there because it is you know a budgetary uh, thing we you know if you have a couple dollars and you want to put it on a, on a casino or pro line please do do so with us and we love that um but now that we're competing in this new open space um people are still placing their bets with us and we appreciate that immensely and so does the government of ontario at the end of the day right Last question, Tony, and again, I want want Mel, uh, Will and Amanda to get on this one too. And I, I know it's a bit repetitive, but it's it's sort of, I think it's a really important topic. And part of your report talks about diversity and inclusion and and the efforts that OLG has made. And um, you know, I had a chance to uh, to moderate a panel with Tianja Kerr, your uh, mm -hmm. your chief diversity person, back at the uh, Canadian Gaming Summit. And she's June. a superstar. And, <laughs> had a chance yes absolutely had a chance i spent some time with Catherine mead after that session and was just blown blown away and really really impressed by uh by Catherine. and um you know just and i think uh well and i i'll get you in here in a second but just having attended g2e a couple of weeks ago and it just felt that the room was a little bit different and seemed to be be a better representation of, of women and and uh, a little more diverse and, and inclusive than what I'd seen even going back through I guess twelve months ago at the SBC summit in East Rutherford. Uh, again, are you are you seeing a shift in that as well, Tony, and, and just uh, the kind of the culture and that that diversity and inclusion piece? No, 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, like right now, uh, almost 49% of our full-time workforce um, are women. 55% of our senior executives that sit around that board table are women. Um, you, know, you know, we've hired 43% of employees that are self-identified as a member of a racialized group. 14% of our workforce identifies as 2S LGBTQI+. So, you know, and that's more than the provincial average. So we're proud of the efforts that we're, that we're, we're embarking on at OLG. It's been a long haul to get us to where we are. Um, and you know what? There's no stopping. We're just going to continue with this. And, uh, you know, we're recognized. Forbes recognizes us as, you know, one of the Canada's best employers in 2022. Um, so I couldn't be prouder uh, to be part of this organization and, um, and where we're heading. Hey, man, I know we've knocked this topic around an awful lot, but do you, do, do, you know, do you, is your opinion any different now than it might have been like at the beginning of the summer? No, I mean, when I hop on my senior management calls, we are about 51, 52% women uh, on the senior management team for North America. And then on a monthly basis, we do a North American team call where everyone gets on and the workforce, you know, as would probably be true of, of um, most of the operators um, is very diverse. It's also very young. So that's where I'm starting to feel my age pop <laughs> on because they're, they are all uh, vastly younger than I am at this point in time. But what a change that's been for my personal, you know, if you look at where I started working in the end of, you know, I didn't even start working in gaming, um, but just where I've worked over the last 20 years um, from what has changed and certainly how gratifying it is to see a workforce that is truly representative of, of quite frankly, what the world looks like now. Hey, well, I'm going to give the last word to you in this topic because I, I'm, I think you probably have some interesting observations from your, your brief time at Sightline Payment so far. Well, let me reflect first on OLG and reinforce and reaffirm what Tony said, because I was there to see that evolution firsthand. When I arrived around the same time as Tony back in December 2009, there was only one member of the executive committee uh, that was female. Um, and uh, by 2016, 2017, uh, that executive committee was 50-50 male and female. Um, so there was a progression at the level of reporting to the CEO. But what was more interesting to me was at the two levels below the executive committee, when I first arrived at OLG, that was very male-centric, uh, uh, male-dominant. Um, and it's become determinately less so um, in the years since. And, and so in what has long been a, a male-dominant industry, commercial gambling, uh, there has been a very positive evolution um, and sense of progress at Ontario's crown operator. At Sightline, uh, goodness gracious, uh, I, I don't have the, the, the stats, um, but uh, uh, certainly some of our most influential decision makers um, are female. Um, they, they populate our executive committee um, and uh, um, have a prominent voice within the organization. Um, even at the time that we have two male co-CEOs, uh, the executive committee beneath them is, is uh, determinately uh, female-centric. So um, I, it's, it's, it's been excellent to see in just the last decade um, much-needed progress that's perhaps a little overdue, uh, but is, is arriving to an industry that was largely male-centric for the longest time. Right. But, great, you know, yeah, Steve, great stuff. You were yeah, making a move towards towards wrapping up. But, and before you do that, uh, I just want to say something about uh, one of our special guests here today. 
Uh, I mentioned that he and I started uh, at the same time at OLG. And and let me tell just a a quick little story. Uh, When Stephen Rigby was the CEO of OLG, he had a long-time MPP that came in to talk to him. And the man came into the office to uh, to see Stephen and I. The three of us were there. And he stuck out his hand to Stephen and, and said, uh, I don't know whether to congratulate you or issue condolences because you've taken on the toughest job in the Ontario public sector. Uh, and of course, what he's referring to is that, you know, OLG is, is not an easy place to work. You become uh, a real target uh, for anti-gambling advocates, for the media, um, for, uh, you know, different uh, interests. It's a very difficult position uh, to work CEO. Well, if CEO is the toughest job in the Ontario public sector, then being the comms director for OLG is probably the second toughest. And my guy here, Tony, has handled it through more than a dozen years now with a grace a dignity. Um, he's taken media relations to another level in terms of working for an agency that faces a lot of public criticism, um, but answers questions thoroughly, responsibly, in a helpful and effective and timely way. Um, I know I've heard from, from different reporters about how well served they feel um, with OLG, with, with Tony, through more than a dozen years now. So a, a general hat tip uh, from a well-informed source here uh, to someone who's done yeoman work for more than a dozen years now. I am blushing immensely as we speak, as you speak. Thank you, Will. You are too, too kind and too, too generous with your, uh, with your words. I appreciate it immensely. I, I was going to say there, there definitely was a, a check or an e-transfer involved there, Will, but, but I, can't, I can't say that because having dealt with Don- Tony over the past, uh, I guess, 24 months now, I... I, I I echo I echo your uh, your plot. It's uh, Tony gets he gets back to you right away. He he's uh, he's up front. He tells you if he if he can't answer a question for you, he's responsive. He gets you in touch with people. So uh, Tony, you're an absolute pleasure to deal with, and you're you're everything that a, a communications specialist should should be. And uh, I'm really glad we had a chance to finally get you on your your maiden Twitter Spaces voice. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna get you back here again. Now that I can log on, uh, I'm, I'm happy to join. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate, again, the kind words. Great. Thanks. That, that was Tony Batani, Director of Media Relations at uh, OLG. Well, let, let's wrap up here with a couple of quick housekeeping items. Um, Tony Luchasano, Lucky Luch, had to leave early to go referee a basketball game today. But the uh, the, breeders, uh, the Breeders is this weekend, and his, uh, his pick that he passed on to Mike Day, that it's, uh, it's all flight line and nobody else in the Classic. Uh, he's a three to five morning line favorite in, a, in an eight horse field right now. And Luch likes Olympiad as a, the long shot pick. Um, just in terms of the newsletter, if you get a chance, uh, Play Canada has a graphic, uh, infographic artist, Jen Montgomery, who's doing some really cool work there right now. So if you get a chance, uh, Dave, Dave Briggs had a tweet that we put in the newsletter this week with Jen showing how Ontario stacks up with some of the uh, some of the major U.S. states right now in terms of online gam- gambling revenue. So that's something worth looking at. Um, also want to mention that uh, Amanda Brewer is going to be part of a, a panel next Saturday. That's November 12th, Amanda, I believe, at the uh, the Primetime Sports Management Conference uh, in Toronto at the, uh, at the Wester Harbour Castle. Uh, Chris Lush from Woodbine Entertainment, Jamie Saul from Bell Media, and Sam Galanis from Roger Sports and Media is, is going to be part of that panel that I'll be moderating and really just on the state of the sports betting industry in, in Canada 
and uh, Ontario in particular, now that we're we're seven months into uh, into a regulated market. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Will Hill, thanks thanks so much again. Um, we gave uh, we gave Mike Day and Gavin Roth and Mark Silver a, a breather this week, which is which is fantastic. Um, always appreciate your insight, Will. Thank you to uh, to Will from Sightline Payments, Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group, Paul Burns from the Canadian Gaming Association, and, and of course Tony Batani from the uh, Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. Uh, we will be back in seven days' time to to do this. Um, and as I mentioned before, and as Will mentioned as well. If you're uh, if you're interested or curious about res- responsible gambling, uh, strongly suggest you you look at registering for Discovery 2022 next week. Just go to responsiblegamblingcouncil.com for that. Um, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Gaming News Canada newsletter. Please be safe. Enjoy your week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show, a Parlay Media Group production. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience and DM us if you're interested in sponsorship or being a featured guest.